I'll get you to hit that blue button. Yeah, if you'll hit that button. Good evening or afternoon or wherever we're at. It's good to see everyone that's made it. Kind of gloomy outside, but just the way we like it. And, you know, if we can put it that way, we're in pretty good shape. We have many that uh, are not going to be able to be with us today. Uh, already, uh, Sister Nancy's not feeling well, and uh, she's not going to be with us today. And uh, Joe and Jamie had to make a quick return, but uh, for her medication, you know, part of the uh, age that we live in. But we are so glad to have Sister Reva back with us. And, uh, and uh, of course, over here on the side, my brother, my son and brother in Christ, Jeremy, is with me uh, today. Uh, we've been out trying to chase down deer, and good luck with that, right? Uh, they, I think sometimes the deer are smarter than we are. Let's take our Bibles and let's go to the book of Revelation. And we're going to uh, continue on our study of uh, Fulfilling Daniel's Prophecy is the title that we have today. Fulfilling Daniel's Prophecy. And we're going to read the latter part of Revelation chapter 13. Now, we've already looked at the first 10 verses, and uh, as we take a look at it today, we want to go on with our studies in regards to what it says about Daniel's prophecy. In regards to verse uh, 10, let's go ahead and read that again, and we'll read it down to the end of the chapter. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like unto a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all power of the first beast before him, and caused the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doth great wonders, so that he maketh the fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an in image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, and to the image of the beast should both speak, and caused that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right forehand or in their forehead, then that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark of the name of the beast or the number of the name. Here's the wisdom, let him that hath understanding count on the number of the beast, for the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score, and six. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Lord, we want to thank you for the opportunity to stand before the congregation. Lord, you know, I don't really feel worthy to uh, present that word, especially with all the things that are happening around about us. But Lord, how beautiful it is when we can spend this time studying, and not in the matter of fear, but Lord, that we might have a greater understanding of the things that you give us from the reading of your word to apply to our life. Now, Lord, I pray that you will guide us and that you will help us in this time. May we study as you see fit and guide and bless and keep us. And Lord, I pray that you will give me the power from on high, not only present the word, but that it might be of a great benefit to all of us. For it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Now, before we go on any further, let's go ahead and let's go back to the book of Daniel. 
And I want us to read in chapter 7 a passage that we've already read several times, but we want to go ahead and look at it again. So in Daniel chapter 7, going down towards the end of the chapter, beginning at verse 24, we see the second part. Now, like I said, I labeled this as fulfilling Daniel's prophecy. But I want us to take a look at what it says, beginning in verse 24. And the ten horns out of the kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. This is the image that we see at the very beginning of Revelation chapter 13. Remember the beast and, and how that it, we talked about the, uh, the ten crowns, but also three, you know, seven horns, as three were defeated. Verse 25, and he shall speak great words against the Most High. Now this comes in to where the, the beast shall go on from the Antichrist towards the beast, and he is going to speak terrible things against Christ, but he's elevating himself. This is going to have to happen. All right, let's see what else it says. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws that they shall be given into his hand until the time and times and dividing of times, three and a half years. But the judgment shall set, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatest of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my uh, condemnations have troubled me, and my countenance changed to me, but I kept the matter in my heart. One last passage. Let's go over to Daniel chapter 9. And let's go down to verse 27. And I want us to look and see all of these things as they come to pass. And it shall be confirmed the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifices and the oblation to cease. And the overspreading of the abomination she shall make desolate even unto the consummation. And determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, all of these things are connected together. Now, I want us to make sure that we have this clear understanding. Mind you, what Daniel was allowed to see, and what Daniel was in anticipation of, was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, mind you, at the time that Daniel was written, which, and according to my Thompson chain, it was like 538 B.C., all right, 538 B.C., and so... When we take a look at this time frame, he knew that Messiah was coming. At the time of his writing, now I want you to get this, already Darius and Cyprus were in power. We also know that he uh, may mention that there was the Nebuchadnezzar reign. There was the Belshazzar reign. There was the Mede-Persian reign. And after that would come the Greeks and then this unknown beast. If God had given it to understanding who this unknown beast was, I'm sure that the people would have been prepared and maybe looking for it. However, this is a pattern which the Lord has given to bring it all together. Now, I want you to get this for a moment. Already, I've been doing a lot of uh, writing and reading about, you know, how many times that people have tried to corrupt God's Word. And in fact, there's a newer uh, method that people are trying to corrupt the Word of God. Let me give you an example. Let's go to the book of Isaiah, or excuse me, the book of Jeremiah. I said, I almost said Isaiah. Jeremiah, let's go to chapter 29. 
And I want us to look at verse 11. Now this, I want you to get this. This has just been in my studies more recent. But do you realize that for the longest time, many people refused to touch the Old Testament? And the reason that they didn't touch the Old Testament was because this was preserved and protected by the Masoretic Jews. Now, notice what it says. For I know the thoughts that I have toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now, depending on the, the translation, a lot of people like to go to the more modern translations, and what they like to do is they want to talk about prosperity. But I love what one preacher did. Matter of fact, he wasn't even a Baptist minister. He said, why isn't it that we're not reading the first ten verses? He said in Jeremiah chapter 29, the first ten verses lead up to verse 11. And he said then the first ten verses is, okay, let me tell you what you do. Build houses, live in the land, and spend the years, make yourself known. Be good citizens, be good people. And this goes beyond the expectation of the Jews who are like, well, we no longer have a land. No, but I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to make sure. The expected end is twofold. Number one, God knows what he's going to do with his people. Number two, the expected end is our salvation. Now, I want you to get that as well. So for a lot of people that change the word of God to prosperity, what they're doing is they're taking away the responsibility and the requirement of salvation for all people. And yet, the entire Old Testament is about the coming of Christ. Laced in to some of these expectations that we read you know, throughout the Old Testament of the coming of Christ are little, little snippets of what it's going to be like in the millennial reign. I'll give you an example. Let's turn now to the book of Isaiah. Now, again, I have notes in the back. I don't have all of these notes there. But you're more than welcome to grab them, if you will, and add to these notes if you want. In Isaiah chapter 11, we find the wonderful statement that comes upon this. Now, once again, look at verse 2. And we see how that this is speaking of Messiah. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and who's that speaking of? That's Jesus Christ. And reprove with iniquity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, and he shall slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be, uh, shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Here's another passage, and this is speaking of the millennial reign of Christ. For the wolf also... can actually see the millennial reign of Christ and the righteousness and the holiness and everything that's there. Let's go to chapter 65. And again, I wish I understood everything a little bit better. Uh, and, you know, as time goes on, I pray that my studies will lead me there, okay? But in, in Isaiah chapter 65, once again, we find a little bit different application. 
Because as we see it, we see not only the, the brightness of Christ, but we also see his eternal reign. Let's look at verse 8. And the Lord, and thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for the blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob, and of Judah, and inheritance of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and the saints shall dwell there. Shall dwell there. Now, let me ask you, has that happened yet? And the answer is not at all. But it is something I was looking forward to. This is in the book of Isaiah. It also goes down a little bit later where it says that he is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Has he done that yet? The answer is no. Let's take another look. Let's go to the book of Zechariah. And in the book of Zechariah, we're going to go over to uh, chapter 12. And in Zechariah chapter 12, there's another application that regards uh, to the children of Israel. And this is really an amazing part to me. Look what it says down. Let's go down to verse 9. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all against Jerusalem. When is that going to happen? That's going to happen when Jesus Christ appears out of glory and then he sets everything correct. Look at verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication, and shall look upon me, whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him, for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as, the, uh, as one that is in bitterness of, for his firstborn. Has this happened yet? The answer is absolutely not. Now, understand this. Now, this is just an introduction. But may I point this out to you, that those people that want to deny what we believe is the second coming of Christ, and that it begins with the rapture, what they want to do is they want to take and gather everything as evidence for themselves. You can't do that. That's not the way the Bible is even written. I mean, let's put it this way. If we are to understand everything that's going on in the book of Revelation, this is not something that's already happened, but that which will happen. Now, there's parts that's already happened. There's, there's things that are leading up to this. In fact, Jeremy and I were talking about this, how that even our government is trying to get rid of Christianity. The reason is, as long as Christianity exists, they're in, a, in the state of, or in the United States of America, gun control, all of that's going to be thrown out because we're saying is, no, we want to protect ourselves. We don't want your protection. We don't want your means. But even more so, we want the right and the privilege to preach the gospel without any intubation, if you will. How many of you all know that there was a man who was street preaching in Peoria, Illinois, and he was recently, while he was street preaching, someone come out of the crowd and shot him? How many of you knew that? It's on Facebook. Very few of the news organizations covered that particular event. Because the reason is because that's a side note. That's not really where we want. That's not the agenda we want. How many of you all know that there was a little Baptist church in Tacoma, Washington, and one man who was passing out tracts in front of the venue for, a, uh, for either a Supersonics game or uh, the Seattle Seahawks, I can't remember which one it was, he was taken and beheaded because he passed out tracts condemning the people that were there. How many of you heard that? 
The reason you don't hear about it is it goes against the agenda of what our news media and everything else is. Now, I am not trying to scare you because let's put it this way. My victory is not in this life. My victory that I need to hold on to is in Christ Jesus. Now, I've been blessed in my lifetime to be able to preach the gospel. And I've had highs and lows myself about wanting to be uh, you know, a great preacher, you know, and the lows about, woe is me, I'm all alone. I, don't you wish I had a little bit more stability about myself? Well, the reality is, is that stability has to be in the direction of God. Once again, this is something that Jeremy and I talked about this week. Loneliness is not necessarily with us, but we have conjured it to be with us. Did everybody get that? Loneliness is not with us, but we conjure it to be with us. Well, I'm just, I don't have anybody beside me. Well, neither did Elisha, neither did Elijah, or many others for that fact. They were willing to be men of God, men and women of God. Even Paul made that statement. He goes, I would that you would rather be like me. What does that mean? Separated? Maybe a divorce? We don't know what happened to the Apostle Paul. Most unlikely his first wife passed on, if he was even married. We don't even know that he was married. Uh, how many of you have ever heard that, well, for him to be a part of the Sanhedrin, uh, he had to be married? How many of you have ever heard that? That's not true. There were many that were part of the Sanhedrin that they devoted themselves, especially when it come to spying out or to uh, be, if you will, those zealots for the church, and they allowed them to be part of the Sanhedrin even though they were not married. Now, you really have to dig in and study that before you find out the truth of it. So the reality is, is that I am one of those individuals that I believe that Revelation chapter 13 gives us a great indication of things that are about to occur. I also believe that Revelation chapter 13, in regards to what we see in the book of Revelation, is in the chronological order. So really, if I take a look at this little map that's here in the middle, we can see that we're right here at that midpoint. Now, this is all getting ready to happen. All of this is going to happen, and, and you know, this is something that we know of Scripture. But that midpoint is what's going to be so important for us to look at. We know that this Antichrist has taken the opportunity to kill the two witnesses. I really believe that. And there's going to be rejoicing when the two witnesses are in the streets of, uh, of uh, Jerusalem, and how that people are going to uh, pass around gifts. Matter of fact, it shouldn't just tell us that if you read it, it's very much a, a celebration to where they are thankful to God, you know, if you will, and of course this being to their Antichrist, that he would destroy these people that stood in the way. But imagine their joy when these two men stand up and they ascend into heaven, and now the, the people are suddenly getting quiet. Now, I don't know how many of you know this, but I, I want to point it, go ahead and take a look at this. In Revelation, it says that, again, in the proper term of, of number one, what Daniel is teaching us is that all of these things are part of the tribulation. Now, what do we mean by tribulation? Has there not been tribulation before? Yes. But may I point this out to you, that even tribulation is something that we should not be alarmed about. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 2. 
And I want us to take a look at what the Lord said to the church at Smyrna. All right, everybody there? Now, and unto the angel, this is at verse 8, Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, and unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. All right, this is Christ Jesus speaking to the congregation. I know thy works and thy tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blaspheming of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. In other words, there are those people that are trying to creep in and cause more trouble. Sounds like today, doesn't it? Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, and you shall be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Now, is that not speaking of tribulation? That tribulation of that time is a modern tribulation of that period, meaning there was actually ten major persecutions that came upon the people that believed in Jesus Christ at the time of what we call Smyrna. There were different Caesars that had the power and the ability to bring heavy-duty persecution. Now, once again, so be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Once again, tribulation has always been with us. But there's never going to be a tribulation like we see in the book of Revelation. And it's called great tribulation. A lot of times I'll have people say, well, now Jesus spoke of great tribulation. Is there a different tribulation? The answer is absolutely there's many levels of, it, of tribulation. If I can say this, the word is, E-S-T, at the end of the word, is not in the natural vernacular of either the Greek or Great tribulation means that it is great at that particular time. So when the Lord said there is great tribulation that's going to occur, that means what we see here. Now understand this. The first three and a half years, the blood being changed to water, many people that are dying, or excuse me, the water being turned to blood, I'll get it correct here in just a minute. The navies and the, the different ships that are going to go down because of that, how much stench is going to occur. There are so many things that are going to give us the beginning of tribulation. But at the end of the three and a half years, there's no tribulation like the first tribulation. And this tribulation is going to be very difficult indeed. And it ends, as I stated last week, with the name change of the individual. Now, let me just point this out to you. There are many things that we are losing in prophecy because the fact is we don't want to hear the right word of prophecy. To show you what I'm talking about, let's go, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now understand, when this was written, the Apostle Paul was writing unto the church at Corinth. This was his first letter, and he brings in chapter 13 all about love. So whenever you see about charity, this is a great measuring stick about charity. But when you get down to verse 10, notice what it said. Well, let's, let's back up to verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Well, what do you mean you, just, you, you only prophesy in part? Because the reality is, they needed more. They needed something that was complete. Look at verse 10. But, that, but when that which is perfect is come, do you realize that you have the perfect Word of God in your lap? Now, do we understand it? We struggle to understand it. We struggle to 
so many people that they'll look at me and they'll say, well, it's great that you have the insight of these things. I, I want you to understand something. I even struggle over some of this stuff. Let's be honest. I don't But when that which is perfect can come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. What did verse 9 say? We struggle with part. So the reality is that Paul that when that which is perfect is come, meaning God's word, then we have his word in our hands. I wish I could give you more indication how precious it is that we have the word of God. Uh, many times when the old joke used to be, well, the preacher's coming over, we better find the Bible and dust it off. The reality is, is that our Bibles are a tool that we should be using every day. We have great privilege. There, there is a case where a young man, and I, I don't remember the young man, I don't remember the situation and everything, but he wanted and he longed to have the New Testament Greek in hand. And he wore rags, he wore literally shoes, if you will, or sandals, whatever it was that were, he probably was walking with just the look more than anything else. And these two highfalutin individuals knew the cost of a constant New Testament. Now, I understand this, is that it's, it's very expensive. They would go a year's wage and just be able to handle, have the Word of God in their hands. A year's wage. And mockingly, they said, if you can read anything out of that great New Testament, I'll buy it for you. And that young man picked it up, opened it up, and began to read the Greek New Testament. The reason is, outside of clothing, the family knew the importance of the Word of God, and they taught their children how to read the Bible because that was so important. Many years ago, Brendan and Jeremy both will remember this, we, we did an old farmhouse we called Pinecrest. And one day I was pulling down some horsehair lath, and as I pulled it down, all these papers come flying out. The most important of them all was Greek Bible studies that were done back in the 1800s. When I stand up here, I am following a long line of teachers that want you all to know the, the depth of the meaning of God. I, if I teach anything that's outside of the Word of God, then I am teaching you all fallacy. Everything should be from the Word of God. from the Greek. Let's go to one other place. I want us to go to 2 Peter. And I wonder how many people really remember or really recall how powerful it is in 2 Peter that we have this message concerning the Word of God. Let's go to verse 18. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Until the day of dawn, Here's the thing. What is the measure that someone knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Has there ever come a point in their life where they see that 
Jesus Christ is the only redemption? Is there, only, is there a time in their life when they have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And when they are on their deathbed, will they praise God? I personally am praying that the Lord will You see, that's the power of what was written for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. While I'm alive, Praise God, I'm more than a sinner. I am redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and my redemption has made me a prince in the house of God. How many of you all know that? And you ladies, you're princesses. I'm sorry, you're not designed to be a man, but you are designed to be a great flower in the presence of God. Look what else it says in verse 20. Knowing this first, that no is a private interpretation. Isn't that powerful? You know, there's nothing better than when I had the opportunity to sit with Greg or Jeremy or Randy or anyone else or any anyone that wants to have the opportunity and we talk about the coming events of Christ. How powerful it is when we get to take the Word of God in hand and rejoice over the things that are going to come. How many of us are waiting and hoping that God doesn't return today. It should be everyone's heart, everyone that is here, that the Lord will come right now. Now let's, let's just stop there. I have, I have I've known so many Christians that are saying is, well, I've really been concerned. Why are we concerned? Why, why do we worry? So much if we think that the last moment that, well, I don't know if the Lord's going to come today or not, He's going to come at the appointed time. And when everything is prepared in glory, then God the Father go get your bride, go get your people, go get your children. And when we are then escorted, then the rejoicing will begin. Now, we have already looked at Revelation, all, I mean, all the way through. And there have been many people that have been martyred. There's been many people that hear the proclamation. But may I point this out to you? Nothing is ever private. It's going to be beautiful. In reality is, in Peoria, Illinois, there will be many more people up there preaching the Word of God and saying, you took one of us, now ten more will stand in his place. But you know what? Christianity, as it stands right now, is afraid, isn't it? What are we afraid of? They may take my life, but they cannot take Christ from me. I wish that we could go back and re-listen to what Polycarp said. Eighty plus years, I've been a follower of Christ. And you threaten to take my life? Bring on the faggots, that's what he said. And before it became such a, a, a inflammatory word, that meant bring on the embers, bring on the wood. Let me be burned, because I will never deny Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And they killed Polycarp for it. 
you know what really saddens me? We're living in a time where we don't really trust in God as much as we trust in ourselves. How many of you have ever had doubts about your salvation? And I'll throw my hands up because I have. But you know what's beautiful about it? The closer I am to Christ, I'm not dependent upon Mike Prater. <laughs> my sins are ever a demonstration to me that Christ is ever in control. How many of you have ever prayed, Lord, I was afraid to pray last night. You knew you sinned when you did it. <laughs> but we take that earthly mentality of time heals all wounds. Guess what? Time doesn't. God already forgave you the moment that you committed those sins if you belong to Him. He's waiting on you to ask for forgiveness. And the closer I am to Christ, the closer I am to His coming day. How many of you are waiting for His coming? How many of you hope that it's today? If I am really waiting upon the Lord to come today, then it shall be proof. Look what it says in verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. You know what's really sad? Let the Bible speak for itself and let us learn from God's word. Come on, let's be honest about it. Let us read the word of God. is about AI, artificial intelligence. Do we know if it's going to happen? It is already happening. There The reason we want a friend in our computers. But as long as you have a cell phone, it can track you. How many of you all have a, a, a little tracking service that if you lose your cell phone, uh, you can actually download it and it can help you find your cell phone? How many of you also have that one where you're watching your children, whatever is going to be on there, so that they don't get into something mischievous? How many of you spend more time with games than you do with Christ? Let me just tell you something, folks. It, we already have it, and yet AI is going to gather all this information I'm going to say this to you. Many years ago, when I first started off with computers, no one knew that it would come up to where it's at right now. But do you realize the computers we have today are actually generated by other computers? How many of you knew that? The advancement of the technology is so much greater than what human hands can deal with, that computers are creating other computers. And they're more advanced. I just remember not too long ago, the SpaceX machine that launched, and, and I looked at the upper hand display, and they had little TV screens. And they watched it as it ascended. And those monitors just vibrated, but they stayed firm. How were they able to do that? Because they're not picture tubes. They're LEDs or LCDs, whatever they want to call them. But even that design goes beyond comprehension. 
you think that God doesn't know everything that's going on? These things do not happen out of their own contrary. Let's look at verse 21 again. For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. How precious is this word? And what scares me is we don't really spend time around this word. Many times I'll give, uh, you know, on a daily devotion, I may turn around and, and just give an inter- introduction verse of what's on my heart for the morning. And i got news for you. There's times that I'm not as close to God as I should be, and, and I'm thinking, Lord, how can I be a blessing to other people when I can't even be a blessing for myself? And, the, and God will lay something on my heart that I have to write about. That's good. But I am not as holy as I should be. And that means I need to spend more time around God's Word ever so much. So, well, we've got a few more minutes. Let's go ahead and let's go back to Revelation chapter 13. And in Revelation chapter 13, there's something that I want you to see. In verse, Revelation chapter 13, let's go down to verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Now, to this point, we have not really taken into account who the Antichrist really is. We have really thought about the Antichrist, but understand this. He has already received a terrible wound in his head, or he's on the point of death. There is a new series that is out right now about the last days of JFK, and there's an image that I saw that I wish I had never seen. And it was a picture of our former president, JFK, and literally the side of his head was blown off. He had no brain. And I remember that as I looked at that image, I thought, man, why am I being privy to this? Why did I see this? And literally his eyes were open, but he was not seen. The side of his head was gone, and it was just a momentary, maybe, maybe 10 seconds of image. And then they span away to when this actually occurred. The first shot went through his head, but it didn't kill him. It went through his jaw, basically. And he said, I think I've been shot. The second one, they show, and it's literally the entire side of his head was blown off. Now, a lot of people might turn around and say, oh, that is so cruel, that is so terrible. Well, wait a minute. We don't know how the Antichrist is going to be killed. Could it be someone in power? Could it be someone that's already in the mix? It's very possible. May I point this out to you that every time that evil arises, we give too much power to Satan and not enough power to God. May I point this out to you? Satan does not have the abilities that God Almighty has. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is also omnipresent. And so because God can have these three qualities, he knows everything about us, and he has power that Satan wants, but he has not. Satan is determined, and he can only use what man can generate. Now let's go all the way back. Remember what I just read in 
Revelation chapter 2 about the Smyrna church and said, you will have persecution 10 days. Why wasn't AI used then? Because it didn't exist. Let's transport, let's go all the way up to the time of Charlemagne. And when we see Charlemagne, why didn't more technology be used? Why did they still want to persecute the Albigenses that were in the mountains? Or how we see all the different traits. Why wasn't that used? Because the technology wasn't there. And Satan could not use a technology that didn't exist. Let's even go to the time of Hitler. Do you realize that Hitler had already preached to people many, many times ago that over and again, my people... We have to fight to the death, to the life, because nobody cares about us. I'm the only one that cares for you. And so the reason that Gog and Magog begins, even with Hitler, was because they were fighting to the very death. But did you know that even his generals tried to kill him? Even his generals tried to kill him. But he survived it. And he became more ruthless than ever. In fact, many people want to point back to Hitler and say, see, he was the one that was there. No, 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 no. What we're seeing here with the beast is far worse. And I want you to get this. While I don't understand every little detail about what's going to happen in Scripture, this I do know. His power is limited. But God's grace is purposed. All right. We're going to go ahead and we'll pick up there next week. And Lord's willing, we shall finish up our studies. We're going to be dismissed in a final word of prayer. So, Father, again, thank you for your mercies and your truth. Thank you again for always being with us. Help us now to understand the things that are written. For it's in Christ we pray. Amen. We're dismissed. <laughs>